Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith using the Belgic Confession of Faith as our guide. Last time we considered what the Bible teaches about original sin. Today, with the Lord's help, we want to begin to consider how God has chosen to rescue fallen sinners, and we begin with his decree of election. And in this connection, I invite you to turn with me to Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 1 as we read the first 14 verses. Hear God's holy word. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the Beloved, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory, in whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So far the reading of God's holy word. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Dear friends, we come today in our study of the Belgic Confession to the doctrine of election, or as it's sometimes called, the doctrine of predestination. Now admittedly, this is not a very popular doctrine today, and never was. Many people today do not like to hear about this doctrine. It makes them feel uncomfortable. It even scares them. And therefore, they try to ignore it and pretend as though it doesn't exist. But friends, the doctrine of election is part of God's revealed truth. And therefore, it must be taught and proclaimed. One of the Reformed Confessions, the Canons of Dort, which was written in 1618-19, says this, and I quote, As the doctrine of divine election by the most wise counsel of God was declared by the prophets, by Christ himself, and by the apostles, 
and is clearly revealed in the scriptures, both of the Old and New Testament, so it is still to be published in due time and place in the church of God, for which it was peculiarly, or we could say specifically, designed. So to fail to preach or to teach about election is to fail to preach or teach the whole counsel of God. Well, what then is the doctrine of election? We have a very good definition of this doctrine in chapter 1, article 7 of the Canons of Dort, which I referred earlier. There we confess as follows, quote, Election is the unchangeable purpose of God, whereby, before the foundation of the world, he has out of mere grace, according to the sovereign good pleasure of his own will, chosen from the whole human race, which had fallen through their own fault, from their primitive state of rectitude into sin and destruction, a certain number of persons to redemption in Christ, whom he from eternity appointed the mediator and head of the elect and the foundation of salvation. End quote. Now that's a very long and complex sentence. And we can perhaps simplify it by picking out the key words and leaving the rest out. If we do that, then we arrive at the following definition. Election is the purpose of God, whereby he has chosen a certain number of persons to redemption in Christ. So election is about choice. When we have a general election in our country, we choose which party will form a government. And so it is when it comes to salvation. When we speak about election, we're speaking about God choosing sinners. The doctrine of election teaches that God chooses a certain number of persons out of the whole human race who will be saved. Now this is precisely what the scriptures teach. In Acts 13 verse 48, we read that after the Gentiles heard Paul preach the gospel at Antioch in Pisidia, that they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And then we read that as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So who were the ones who believed? Well, our text says it was those who had been appointed to eternal life. Or we can think of Romans 8 verse 30. Paul writes that those whom God has predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So ask yourself, whom did God call? Whom did he justify? Whom did he glorify? And the answer is, those whom he predestined. Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 5, which we read earlier. Paul blesses God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So, whom did God the Father bless? It was those whom he had chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And so the scriptures are abundantly clear. God from all eternity chose whom he will save. 
Now this raises the question, on what basis did God make that decision? Well, Arminians say that God's election is based on foreseen faith. In other words, that God from all eternity saw who would believe in him, and on that basis made them one of his elect. But that makes the basis of our election dependent in some way on us, and that can never be. Election and salvation as a whole, from the beginning to the end, is the work of God. Now, over and against this, our Reformed forefathers emphasize that God's election is unconditional. And by that, they meant election is not in any way based on anything in us, not even our faith, not even our believing in Christ. Rather, it is based solely on God's sovereign good pleasure. Now, that's exactly what Paul teaches in Romans 9, verses 11 to 13. There, Paul refers to Jacob and Esau, and he observes that both were born of the same parents. And yet, before they were born, in other words, before they did anything that might merit God's electing grace, God said that the elder shall serve the younger. In fact, God went even further and said, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, on what basis did God love Jacob over Esau? Well, we don't know. Certainly, it was not because there was anything good in Jacob, because there wasn't. He was a sinner, just like his brother. What is more, he had not even been born. All we can say is that God took reasons out of himself. God chose Jacob because it pleased him to do so. And that is where we must stop. Now, in doing this, in choosing sinners, God displays both his mercy and his justice. Article 16 of the Belgian Confession says this, and I quote, We believe that all the posterity of Adam, being thus fallen into perdition and ruined by the sin of our first parents, God then did manifest himself such as he is, that is to say, merciful and just. Merciful, since he delivers and preserves from this perdition, all whom he in his eternal counsel and unchangeable counsel of mere goodness has elected in Christ Jesus our Lord without any respect to their works. And he is just in leaving others in the fall and perdition wherein they have involved themselves. So we confess here that the decree of election displays the mercy of God. Notice what God has said to do for his people here. First of all, he is said to deliver them. The word deliver can also be translated as withdraws in the sense of drawing out. The idea is that God observes the misery in which his people have plunged themselves by virtue of the fall, and by means of his decree of election, he draws them out of it again. He also is said here to preserve. And by that we mean he preserves his people in the salvation that he has bestowed upon them. And he does all of this, our confession says, out of mere goodness. So God doesn't choose to save some because he had to. He chose to save some because he is good. And he did this in Christ Jesus. The preposition here is very significant. Our confession does not say we're elect because of Christ. That would suggest, however unintentionally, that God the Father was reluctant, even unwilling, to save sinners, and that the only reason why he does so is because Christ died on the cross. 
But that's not what the scriptures teach. God the Father is not at all reluctant, much less unwilling to save sinners. In fact, it was the Father who devised the plan of redemption in the first place. And it was God the Father who sent his Son into the world. Now, our salvation is because of Christ, and it is based on his work. But our election to salvation is in Christ. And that's precisely what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 4, where he says that God chose us in Christ. So from all eternity, God's people were united to Christ. And it's by virtue of that union that God elected them to salvation, which must be the case. Otherwise, God would choose us on the basis of something in us which simply cannot be. What is more, he chose us, our confession says, without any respect to our works. So as we saw earlier, God does not choose his people on the basis of anything in them, certainly not their works, because their works are deserving of nothing. He does so only on the basis of his sovereign good pleasure. And in all of this, we see the mercy of God displayed. And that's because God is not obligated to save any of us. The fact that he does, out of mere grace, without any consideration of our works whatsoever, is a glorious display of his mercy. Because had he not done so, we would have perished in our sins to all eternity, for that is what we deserve. But not only does God's decree of election display his mercy, it also displays his justice. Our confession says, it does so in leaving others in the fall and perdition wherein they have involved themselves. Now, we call this reprobation. Reprobation may be defined as that eternal decree of God, whereby he has determined to pass some men by with the operations of his special grace and to punish them for their sins. Now it goes without saying that many people today don't like to talk about the decree of reprobation, just like they don't like to talk about election. And who can blame them? After all, it's not pleasant to speak of God passing certain people by and condemning them to everlasting damnation and hell. Even the great reformer John Calvin, who was not at all ashamed to speak of this doctrine, described it as the decretum horribile, or the horrible or awful decree. Nevertheless, like the doctrine of election, this too is part of revealed truth. In Matthew 11, verse 25, Jesus thanks God that he hid the mysteries of salvation from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes, adding, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. So it seemed good in the sight of God to hide the mystery of salvation to some and to reveal it to others. Similarly, in Romans 9, verse 13, Paul quotes God as saying, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Why did God love Jacob but hate Esau? Again, we don't know, other than it pleased God. And in connection with this, Paul writes in verse 18, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. So God deliberately hardens the hearts of whoever he wills. In the epistle of Jude, verse 4, Jude speaks of certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to condemnation. 
So there were people who were ordained to condemnation and hell. And in 1 Peter 2 verse 8, Peter speaks of those who were appointed unto disobedience. And so it's clear that not only did God choose to save some, but he also chose to damn others. Now, there are some who say that that's not fair. It's not fair for God to choose some and pass others by. But my friend, that is simply not true. God would only be unfair if he was in some way obligated to save everyone. But God is not obligated to save everyone. In fact, God is not obligated to save anyone. Because, as we saw last week, we have all sinned in Adam. Therefore, we are all deserving of eternal damnation in hell. That means that God would have done no injustice if he had left every one of us to perish in our sins. So there is no injustice in God choosing some and passing others by. Now I know that many will still find this difficult to accept. And there were people like that in Paul's day as well. And he gives voice to their concerns in Romans 9 verse 19. He says, You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? And in response to that objection, Paul simply says, verse 20, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? So Paul here is reminding us that we have no right to stand in judgment over God because we are weak and sinful beings. In comparison to God, we have no more right to stand in judgment over him than a worm does over a human being. To reinforce this, he goes on to ask in verse 20 and 21, Will the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Now Paul here is using an illustration from daily life. People in Paul's day were very familiar with potters making clay pots. They would take a lump of clay, they'd place it on a stone wheel, and turn the wheel and shape the clay into a pot. Now these pots were used for different purposes. Some pots were used for pleasant purposes, like for decoration or to store food. Other pots were used for unpleasant purposes, like to collect garbage or other refuse. Now imagine a pot saying to the potter, Why did you make me into one kind of pot and not another? That would be totally absurd. The potter has every right to make whatever kind of pot he pleases. And the same is true in spiritual life. No one can complain that God ordains some to eternal life and some to eternal damnation. That's God's prerogative. He created us, and therefore he can do with us whatsoever he pleases. And so the decree of election displays both the mercy and the justice of God. It displays his mercy because God is not obligated to save anyone. And it displays his justice because those whom he passes by are justly condemned. But what is especially significant about God's decree of election is the comfort that it affords to the child of God. 
Yes, you heard me right. The doctrine of election is of immense comfort for the believer. In fact, this is why God revealed it to us in the first place. He did not reveal it to us to frighten us, to make us squirm, or to make us feel uncomfortable. He revealed it to us in order to comfort us. Take, for example, Ephesians 1, which we read earlier. You'll notice how Paul treats this doctrine in verses 3 to 5. He writes, and I quote these words again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You notice how Paul here begins these verses by blessing God. And why does he bless God? He tells us, because he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And why did he do that? Paul tells us, because he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. My friends, had God not chosen us, we would never be partakers of these spiritual blessings. That's clearly what Paul teaches. What is more, in verse 5, Paul blesses God for having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Again, had God not predestinated us, we would not have been adopted as his children. And so election is a great comfort. It is a reason to bless and to thank and glorify God, as Paul does in these verses. For when God chooses someone, he chooses them forever. God will never go back on his word. He will never change his mind. When he begins a good work, he will always, always finish it. And so it's a comfort. And I ask you as I close, do you have a share in this comfort? You know, you can only have a share in this comfort if you repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder if you've done that. Have you repented? Have you believed on the Savior? Now maybe somebody says, but did you not just say, and do the scriptures not also teach that only the elect will be saved? Doesn't that mean that before I repent and believe, I must first find out if I am one of the elect? Well, some have drawn this conclusion, but it's a wrong conclusion. Because the call of the gospel is not find out if you're one of the elect. The call of the gospel is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the promise attached to that command is you shall be saved. Now, to be sure, we will never repent and believe unless we are one of the elect. That's true but we also will never know if we are one of the elect unless we repent and believe. Is that circular reasoning? Maybe. But it is the reasoning of the scriptures. And our calling is not to understand it or to rationalize it, but to believe it and to act upon it. And so I ask you again, have you repented? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, my friend, you are one of the elect. And that means that when you feel like you're losing the battle against sin, or when you feel so distant from the Lord that you begin to question whether you've truly been saved, you may rest assured in all of your trials 
and all of your temptations and all of your backslidings that God has chosen you from eternity to be his child. And therefore, no matter how great the obstacles may seem, nothing will stand in the way of him accomplishing his divine and redemptive purposes. God will bring all of his sons to glory, no matter what. Well, this then is the biblical doctrine of election. I began this sermon by acknowledging that many people today do not like to hear about this doctrine, especially not its twin sister, the doctrine of reprobation. And there's a reason for that. It's because man by nature wants to be in control. Man wants to be the master of his own destiny, the captain of his own ship. He doesn't like the idea that God chooses him. No man wants to choose God. But the fact is, dear friends, if God had not chosen us, we never would have chosen him. And the reason is because by nature we are enmity with God. We hate him and we want to have nothing to do with him. We are dead in trespasses and sins. The only way that we will ever have anything to do with God is if God takes the first step. And that's precisely what he does in election. He takes the first step in our salvation. And if God had not done that, we would forever be lost. Now how small that makes us feel. But it is the truth. Salvation is 100% the work of God. He is the one who elects his people. He calls his people. He regenerates his people. He justifies his people. He sanctifies his people. And ultimately, he will glorify his people. It's all his work. And we can take no credit for it at all. And therefore, all the glory belongs to him and him alone. May God so bless his word to our hearts. Amen. Dear friends, we always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at Banner of Truth at frcna.org banner of truth at frcna.org for those who take the time to write i will gladly send you a free copy of the belgic confession of faith so that you can more easily follow along as i explain each of its 37 articles if you would like to listen to the message you have just heard again or if you would like more information about our program including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website, at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us offset the costs 
of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit the donation section of our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. For that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.